Is it today? Then I will pray. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for this amazing day, for magnificent music, Lord, for the thought, the delightful thought that you delight over us with joy. And Father, we want our worship to bring you joy today. I pray, Father, that the songs we sing from our hearts would be a a sweet sacrifice of praise to you. I pray, God, that you will hear our prayers as you have promised as we humble ourselves and pray and seek your face and turn from our wicked ways because you are our God and we are your people Lord, these are your children praying. Lord, listen to your children praying. Lord, send your spirit in this place. Lord, listen to your children praying. Send us love. Send us power. Send us grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's something beautiful in a child's prayer. Maybe you learned uh, the simple bedtime prayer, or maybe you learned the Lord's Prayer. What was the first prayer you ever prayed, and who taught you how to pray? I was watching a movie with my family this week, prompting my daughter to turn to my wife and say, I never like the movies that he chooses. However, this particular movie a Christian movie, which was widely acclaimed by the artists until they figured out that it was a a Christian movie and then they panned it widely. But I'm not recommending that you watch the movie. You might might fall asleep. But, But there is a scene in it where a boy prays. And he prays the kinds of prayers that you would expect a child to pray. He speaks with his mouth and and asks God to help him not to get dogs into fights. And important prayers like that. But then, in between the words that he speaks with his mouth, the director lets us hear the actual thoughts of his heart in a whisper. And those whispers are priceless. Listen to this. Watch this with me this morning. you hear that? Help me not to sass my dad. Help me not to get dogs into fights. But then in between he says, where do you live? 
I want to see what you see. I want to know who you are. Are you watching me? This is the cry of a child to a father in heaven. And I want us to think together about a prayer that Elijah prayed. Somebody taught Elijah to pray. Somebody named him Elijah, which means the Lord is God. He was an amazing prophet. We see a pastoral side of him here that I had not contemplated for a while. But there's also a parental side. It's Elijah leading God's children to rebuild the altar of prayer for the nation of Israel. And he models a truth for us to live out in our homes. So would you open your Bibles with me to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18, I'm gonna start reading with verse 21. This is an amazing story on Super Bowl Sunday. It's sort of a showdown on the mountain between God and Baal. And I won't um, tip my hand to you, but I think you know who wins. Let's stand together and hear the word of the Lord, rebuilding the family prayer altar, or we might call this undivided or undecided. 1 Kings 18, verse 21. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves. Let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I'll prepare the other bull, put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls. Prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. There was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. And they came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seahs of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. And then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water. 
and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and and even filled the trench. And at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil and also licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. God. Thank you. You may be seated. Their feet were firmly planted in midair. It's hard to say which side of the fence they leaned toward the most. On the one hand, the children of Israel had this magnificent spiritual heritage. They had this wonderful heritage that they were, they were descendants of Abraham to whom God had said, get up and leave Ur of the Chaldees and come and follow me. They knew the story of Isaac praying that God would give him a wife and Rebekah coming and the twins and God choosing Jacob, their ancestor. These people on Mount Carmel were descendants of the very same people to whom Joshua said in Joshua 24, verse 15, choose this day whom you will serve. And they said, we will serve the Lord. He said, no, no, you don't understand. You don't understand what you're saying because God is a jealous God. And if you dabble in other religions while claiming to follow the Lord, he is going to bring judgment on you. Decide today. But as for me and my house, Joshua said, we will serve the Lord. They descended from the people who said that day, we will serve the Lord. But after God parted the Red Sea for them, after God parted the Jordan River for them to go and inherit the land, after he brought down the walls of Jericho, after he told them to eradicate every false religion in the land, when they got comfortable... Baal sounded better and better to them. This God of the Canaanites, the God of fire, everybody needs fire, the God of rain, and didn't they need rain for their crops? The God of sensuality, surely, surely people should enjoy themselves a little bit. The God of success, the God who will give me what I want, but never ask a thing from me, that's Baal. And it was hard for them to turn their back on that God. On the other hand, here was Yahweh who had loved them so much, but who required of them exclusivity, that they worship him and him alone, that they have no idols and no other gods before him, not just in front of him, but not even in his presence. Get that out of my face, God says. Let there be no other gods before me. And they wavered. It's like if they flipped the coin today in the game and and the referee, you know what he'll say, call heads or tails. And he flipped the coin and it fell to the ground and the guy said, I just can't choose. Baal or the Lord? It's really hard. Because if I choose Baal, the Lord's going to be really mad. But if I choose the Lord, I've got to give up all this success and sensuality. I I think 
I just, I'm, I'm, not gonna, I'm just not going to choose. And Elijah said, okay, look, we'll have a contest. We'll have a Super Bowl on the mountain. And the God who wins, you serve that God, okay? And all he's got to do is answer by fire. And we'll choose bulls. And he gives them home field advantage. By the way, Baal's symbol was a bull. And, uh, and the high places were supposed to belong to Baal, though the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, we know. It looked like, look, 450 prophets of Baal, just, just one prophet of the Lord. There is no earthly way Elijah's going to win. And there is no heavenly way he's going to lose. And so he calls them to decision. And the Baal prophets make no progress. It turns out Baal is in absentia on his big day. But the Lord shows up with fire. And I love Elijah saying, come here to me and inviting the people. Because for me, as I read this this week, it became for me a symbol of what might happen in our homes if mom and dad said to the children, come here to me in a world that calls your heart away. In a world where people worship their play and play at their worship in a world where 50% of the kids who grow up in church the day they leave home leave the church and never come back. Statistics say in that world, wouldn't it be good if parents took a stand and said, come here to me, come and pray with me and called on the name of the Lord until our kids came to know there is only one God, the Lord God, who sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to die for us. This is a day of decision. And it may be that somebody here is a Giants fan. Just raise your hand if you're pulling for the Giants today. And maybe somebody here is a Patriots fan. And maybe you're like me and you just don't care. But I wonder how many of you who just don't care are going to watch it anyway. (laughs) See what I'm talking about? But here's what I want you to know. Ten years from now, very few of us will even remember who played in this game or who won this game. And I'm pretty sure this game is not going to change the world. Though advertisers are going to spend millions of dollars to get you to buy their products, this game is not going to change the world. But whether or not you and I pray with our children in our homes, that will change the world. So let's see this story. Let's hear it again with with fresh understanding when he says to them, please reject the false gods of this world because on the day when you need them, they will not answer. Notice in this passage when he gives Baal every opportunity to show up and Baal Baal doesn't show up and they're calling out to him and they're screaming and they're crying. He gives them the morning sacrifice. He gives them the noon sacrifice. He gives them every opportunity and, and they cry out to Baal and they, look, Baal is the burger king, God. You can have it your way. Worship Baal, then do whatever you want to do. You, you think that's a silly statement, but But in a recent book, one writer has said, the average kid who grows up in an evangelical church believes in moral therapeutic deism. Moral. God wants me to be nice to other people. Therapeutic. God wants me to be happy. God wants me to be happy above all else. Deism. Yet he's not anywhere around and he's not going to get involved in my life. So why would I 
pay attention to him. And I just want to be one voice to say, if that's who you think God is, let me just be clear. It's true, he is moral. (laughs) But God knows that we're not nice. And so he sent his only son on the cross to die for us, to take away our sins. And at a great price, he bought our souls, not just so that we could be happy and do what we want to do, but so that we could be holy and do what he wants us to do. And by the way, there is greater joy in holiness to the Lord than any happiness this world could ever offer you. And if you ask me, is he involved? I would say, did the fact that he came down to this earth and died on a cross for you. Does that seem to say to you that he's involved? The fact that he sent his Holy Spirit to live in his church, does that seem to say that God is involved in this world? The fact that that Spirit is praying for you when you don't know how to pray, the fact that Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Heavenly Father, whoever lives to make intercession for you, is he involved? No, no, God calls us to more than this. And you say, what's the danger of worshiping no God? I'll tell you, no God will do you no good. So in verse 26, twice it says, no one answered, no one paid attention. In verse 29, three times, five times in all, no, 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 no. Baal is no God, so he can do you no good. And the Burger King religion of our world that says you can have it your way, when you find yourself in the day of trouble, it will offer you no refuge at all. It's not going to help you. In fact, in some ways, it's dangerous because it inoculates us against getting the real thing. I read this week about a young man in New Zealand who hated to wear his seatbelt, so much so that he got 32 tickets over five years for not wearing his seatbelt. So you know what he did? He built a fake seatbelt. So he never got another ticket because it always looked like he was wearing a seatbelt until the day he had a head-on collision. And they pulled him out of the car and he had lost his life. And the officer at the scene said he had a seatbelt on his seat. He just didn't wear it. He went to great lengths to build a fake one. But when he had the crash, the fake one didn't do him any good. And someday, someday in our lives, we're going to face a challenge that is bigger than we can face on our own. And on that day, you need to know the one God who really is. Notice what he does. After they, after they have their parade and their charade, then he says, come here to me. I think this is a pastoral side of Elijah. It's a parental side. Him saying, come here to me. And I, I read this this week and I wondered what child in our household, what grandchild in our family, if the parent or the grandparent said, Come here to me. I want to lead you in prayer. What child? See, this is our great fear, isn't it, as parents? I'll confess, I'm a pastor. I'm not very good at leading the family and family devotionals. They're always afraid I'm going to preach a sermon. I'm always afraid they're not going to listen. It's just, it's a scary kind of thing. But it occurred to me that our fears will get the best of us if we're not careful and we'll miss the opportunity to call our children close to us so that they can hear us relate to the God. I'm going to talk next week about why it's so hard for us to pray with our spouses and our friends. There's a reason why that's so hard for us. And we're going to get to the bottom of it and we're going to overcome it next week. But just to say to our children, come here. Doesn't this sound like Jesus in Matthew chapter 11 verse 28? Come to me. 
All you who labor and are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Come here to me. I discovered to my delight that my children were delighted when we said to them this week, we're going to pray. Notice how he, um, how he includes everybody. He takes a stone for each tribe of Israel. Did you know by this point, some of the tribes have absolutely disappeared. <laughs> They've been absolutely assimilated into the other culture. You can't find Dan anymore. Dan is nowhere to be found by this point in history. But he has a stone for Dan. And maybe in your, in your family, there's somebody that you've absolutely lost touch with. We, we called our boys this week and said, hey, we're praying as a family. And we didn't know how to pray for you. I thought, will, will, they, will they answer me? That was my fear. Within minutes, both of them, here's what I need. Please pray for this for me this week. We said, we're going to Skype you in. We've not always been good at this. But with God's help, we're going to get better at it. And we're going to include the family members who may be far away right now geographically. But we don't want their hearts to be far away from us or from the Lord. And you can get creative with this. And you know what? It's, it catches. It, it catches on. You know, that they, they sense something is up. Our youngest one said this week, so am I allowed to take my Bible to school? Absolutely, you're allowed to take your Bible to school. Good, I want to read my Bible during my reading time at school. I'm not going to get in trouble with that. No, you are not going to get in trouble. Now, if your teacher started reading the Bible to you, that would probably be an issue with the government. But if you, if you read your own Bible, that's great. Take, take your Bible to school. She's never asked it. Why? She senses something is going on. I pray that something's going on. One of our, our, our ministers said, I had the best prayer time I have ever had with my wife this week. I'm telling you, God will honor this if we will honor him. But in families where parents just say, you know, that's just another sermon series. Yeah, well, if the parents won't say, come here to me, then can I just say to the kids, then say to your parents, come here to me. Somebody's got to lead. Somebody's got to say, let's pray. And I love that they built this altar. The altar of the Lord. Are you kidding me? The altar of the Lord had fallen into disrepair. The God who brought them across the Red Sea and they don't even have time to pray. The Lord who died for us on the cross and we don't even have time to pray. What is it that we're doing that's more important than this? We're so busy we don't have time not to pray. The title of the book says. We're too busy not to pray. Life is too important. We've got to call upon The name of the Lord. And when we do, we can expect God to do great things. He pours water on the wood, not once, but three times. Four jars of, it'd be like trying to find firewood in my backyard by the bayou right now. It'd be hard to find any wood that wasn't wet. And as far as I know, wet wood's not the way to start a fire. But Elijah was just showing them, I'm expecting God to do the miraculous. Baal can't even show up, but my God can burn wet wood and melt the stones and the soil. And watch this, how God can melt a heart of stone and transform it into a heart of flesh. Somebody sent me a video this week of a young man preaching at a Gideon's convention. And this young man tells his story, how he went to dental school and got involved in all kinds of sin, became a drug dealer four months before he finishes dental school. They kick him out of dental school, so he moves down to Florida and becomes uh, the head of a drug ring down there, is involved in uh, a life of homosexuality. His parents become Christians during this time, and they begin to pray for him. His mom fasts and prays for him every Monday, but he continues. His father comes down to visit him and his mother, and after two days, he throws his own parents out of his house. His father leaves a Bible behind for him. He said, I took that Bible and I threw it in the trash can. But the day came, he said, 
when I heard a knock at my door and there were 12 federal drug agents there with two snarling German shepherds. And they took me to jail. And they sentenced me to six years in prison. And I was walking around that prison yard and I saw a garbage can and I I thought, that's me, I'm in the garbage right now. And I looked down and saw something and there in that garbage can was a Gideon Bible. King James Version, written in 1611. And I pulled it out and I thought, I've got to do something with my time. And I really wasn't interested in it, to tell you the truth. But when I read the Gospel of Mark, I learned who Jesus was and I received him as my Savior. And then I began to serve my time and there came a point when I was so bored and I was looking up at the bunk above me and somebody had written there, if you get bored, (laughs) read Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. I know the plans I have for you, plans for good and not evil, plans to prosper you and give you hope and a future. And he said, I decided that day God was calling me into ministry and I had turned from my sin and I had turned to God and I applied to Moody Bible College and they said, okay, you need three Christian references and I thought, I don't even know any Christians. He said, "The, the, the warden of the prison the prison guard, and another inmate were my three references, but they accepted that. He said, the day that I got arrested, I called my mother and she said, thank God that you have finally been arrested. She had been praying for him. And now he becomes a believer in Jesus Christ. And then he gets out and he goes to Moody Bible College and then he pursues his doctorate. Now today, he's a teacher at Moody Bible College. God has gloriously saved him. I believe you and I ought to pray expecting God to do something great. And when we do, there's a chance that our families can reclaim our great spiritual heritage, that they will learn to know as he prays that the Lord is God, that they will call upon Jesus, that they won't believe in moral therapeutic deism anymore because they will know there is a personal Savior who cares about every detail of their lives, who wants to be involved in their lives. As we model this for them, they will catch this. When God shows up with fire, they will begin to say, I have a heritage. He says, God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I wonder what your spiritual heritage is. I told you about George McCluskey last week. One of our members um, shared a beautiful story about how in 1838 his great-grandfather bought a Bible for $15 and made it the family Bible and inscribed a message in it for the generations that followed. And this member of our church has that Bible from his great-grandfather. I think we have that message inscribed. Do we have that this morning? This is what his great-grandfather wrote. I humbly trust and pray that they may keep the commandments, claim the promises, inherit blessings, that we may all finally meet in the rest that remaineth to the people of God. And let me tell you what he's done. He's given a Bible to each of his grandchildren. And I know this family. And I just have to say, what an amazing spiritual heritage. This is better than any inheritance he could give to his kids. Just think about the people who leave their kids millions and millions of dollars and what a mess that makes of their lives sometimes. But this inheritance can never be taken away. To say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And he prays. He prays in their presence. He calls upon the name of God. And God answers by fire. What would that look like in my life and your life? What would that look like? We're not talking about something that would happen in your barbecue pit. We're talking about God showing up in a big way in your life. And I read this week about Blaise Pascal, his amazing story, this French philosopher, the one who had Pascal's wager, who said, if there is a God and you act like there's not a God, you you lose everything. If there isn't a God and you even pretend that there is a God, you lose nothing. It's an amazing sort of philosophical wager that he makes. But he had, when he died, 
in his early 40s, sewn into the coat of his pocket, his sister found this remembrance from his journal. And this is what it said. It said on on Monday, on Monday, November the 23rd, 1654, from half past 10 till half past midnight, fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and the learned, certitude, certitude, feeling, joy, peace, God of Jesus Christ, this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God and the one that you sent, Jesus Christ. And fire fell in his life that night and it changed his world. And I'm praying that you and I will commit ourselves not only to pray every day as we committed last week, but to pray five times this week with the people in our household. You pray by yourself seven times, but five times this week, pray. It can be at meals. Just don't make it perfunctory. It can be before bed, but make it count. Make it real and watch God show up in power. And then our kids, as they wander on the playground, won't be wondering, who is this God? What is your name? Because they will know that his name is Jesus and he alone gives life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your wonderful plan of salvation. Thank you for finding a way to find us. God, help us, I pray today, to take seriously your call in our lives to lead our families to your throne of grace. God, this is not easy for us, even those of us who who have walked with you for a long time. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us today to make this commitment. And I pray, God, that it would make a difference in our lives for eternity. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.